Okay, well, welcome to the first episode of Crime and Punishment. Uh, my name's Sarah Taylor. And my name's Caitlin Barksdale. I am a student here at Kentucky Wesleyan College. I'm on my third year. I'm majoring in business and minoring in accounting. And I think after I graduate, I'm going to pick up a second degree in journalism. Nice. What about you? <laughs> um, I graduated from Owensboro Community and Technical College in December, and then I started in May at Grand Canyon University online. So I'm still here in Owensboro with all of my Owensboro people. There you go. Um, I'm majoring in history, and after that, I'm hoping to go work at a museum somewhere. Nice. So. Nice. Okay, yeah. And so we ended up naming this podcast Crime and Punishment. To start with, this whole podcast is supposed to be a true crime podcast targeted towards college students and college age cases. Um, but we picked the name Crime and Punishment because fun fact about me and Caitlin is we both don't have much of a social life and we both would rather stay home and read. Facts. <laughs> True. Uh, so when we were looking for a name. We kind of spent the whole week going back and forth and trying to find something that was fitting. And we figured if it's got Crime and Punishment, that's the name of a really popular book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it seemed fitting but at the same time. It had something like a little a little bit of murder yeah. in the title of it. Yeah. Okay, so again, this is a true crime podcast. We started it to kind of bring awareness to um, kids our age and teenagers and young adults and stuff who are getting out in the real world finally and, you know, going to parties and they're getting the age where they can drink. And there's a lot of scary stuff out in the world, a lot of different um, scenarios that sometimes we get ourselves into. Um, specifically, uh, the reason we started this podcast was because there was a girl, um, Samantha Josephine, back in 2019, she got accepted to the University of South Carolina. Um, she was 21 years old. She went out partying with some sorority sisters, decided she wanted to go home. She called an Uber, got in the car, and the, uh, the driver put the child lock on, and a week later, they found her in the woods, um, murdered. She was stabbed over 120 times. Um, it was a pretty gruesome case. They found her over 60 miles away from where she was uh, first picked up. Um, this led to the passing of Sammy's Law in New Jersey, which basically enhances protection for drivers and passengers using apps like Uber and Lyft and stuff. Um, and now they're trying to get it passed in more states and more places. Nathaniel Rowland was convicted as the killer. He was found guilty and sentenced to a life in prison. Um, we actually just had a benefit here in town about... I'd say two weekends ago um, for a foundation that her family has started called What's My Name, which basically means that if you're using an Uber or using Lyft before you get in the car, you're supposed to ask the driver, what's my name? Because on their app, they're going to have the name of who they're picking up. Um, and that was kind of what inspired this whole idea to start a podcast and bring awareness to kids our age and to the whole idea of safety on college campuses. Another reason we started this podcast is because we both have an interest, I'd say, in true crime. I'd say I'd have a lot, yeah. a lot bigger interest Definitely. in true crime. <laughs> um, I read the stuff every day. I follow the news on all of it. Um, but also, Caitlin has a big interest in history. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to put our two brains together and <laughs> look at some cases. And there you go. Dare Learn some stuff. There you go. Yeah. Get right into it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> As you heard earlier, neither one of us have like a super insane college-esque social life. So we do end up reading a lot. Very so one true. of the things that we wanted to kind of bring that into the podcast and um, do a little book update, 
each episode. So um, I'm currently, I just finished um, The Time Traveler's Wife. I was reading that actually for Sarah and <laughs> annotating it for her. Because yes. that's something we like to do is write in our books. I don't know about anybody else, but it makes it more fun. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very strong believers in making sure a book looks loved by the time you're done with it. For sure. So like when we die, someone's going to say, whoa, they had a lot of thoughts going on. Yes, exactly. And the thing is, I don't tend to like historical fiction. Right. So especially with books like that, I prefer to have Caitlin specifically annotations in the margins. Because I know everything that's going on in those historical books. (laughs) Exactly. That's not my forte. Um, But I'm currently reading. I've been reading Helter Skelter for months, months now. It is. It's a thick book. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of information. It's really, really good. I just I go back and forth between reading it and then I'll read something else. I can't just read a nonfiction book fully through, but I am reading Helter Skelter and that is about the Manson murders. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much where my time has been yeah. going. <laughs> I'll say, and then the, I've just finished Time Traveler's Wife for You and now I'm reading um, Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. Yes. I really like yes. how John Steinbeck writes. Yeah, that is her favorite author. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, well, we're going to get back into the reason we started this, which was the whole true crime thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way we have this kind of set up is we're both going to research a case every week or every other week, I think is when we're mm-hmm. recording episodes. Every other week. So we're each going to research a case, um, not telling each other anything about it, not looking up each other's information at all. We're doing it all on our own. And then we come to record, kind of tell the other person about the case. Mm-hmm. You're really going to be getting two cases every episode. Yep. So... That's exciting. Yep. (laughs) We kind of decided we wanted to theme each episode so that we kind of, it doesn't like, they're so vastly different that it doesn't make sense together. So like that accidentally happened this, this time (laughs) we accidentally both chose, um, ones that ended with the electric chair so (laughs) it was it was it was kind of we were gave each other like a little bit Mm -hmm. i'm like well this was this was kind of a cool thing out of my case and it ended up actually both being that the convicted killers Mm -hmm. were sentenced to the electric chair and that's where they got the idea for maybe doing a theme every week so there's a little bit of consistency yeah while also getting two separate cases being told so do you want to go first (laughs) you can totally go first all right (laughs) Okay, so I did the case of Jean Clary. Never, never heard of her? No, never heard of it. Perfect. That's what I wanted. See, but my thing is, it's like I don't I don't sit and do this stuff, so it's going to be easier for me not to know the cases than you. That's very, very <laughs> true. <laughs> All my free time, I'm watching the, um, or reading the True Crime Daily website. They, See? They update that every day. I say, and I just get my true crime updates through you. Exactly. <laughs> so it works. It works perfectly. So the Jean Clary case, this was actually a really, really, really big case um, with the law. I actually never heard of this until I was researching it, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, So back in 1966, Jean Clary was born to the parents of Connie and Howard Clary. She was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, had two older brothers, Howard and Benjamin. And at some point, I couldn't really find like a time frame when they moved, but eventually Mm -hmm. at some point when they moved, they moved to New Orleans. Okay. Which, fun fact, I'm going there in a couple weeks. (laughs) Very excited. That was was a pretty cool detail. Um... And Jean, I'm guessing, was still pretty young when they moved to New Orleans because she always considered New Orleans more of her hometown than Mm -hmm. anything. That's where she was raised. 
Um, so when she finally reached, well, our age, when she's starting college yep. and looking for colleges to go to, initially she wanted to attend Tulane University, which was in their hometown. Both of her brothers had went and graduated from the same university. She was admitted. She was signed on to a tennis team there. She was excited to go. And then her parents took a trip to the university and had overheard the word of mouth. Again, this was like the 80s at this time mm-hmm. that a girl had been murdered on campus a couple weeks prior. She was right. Right, living right off campus. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, let's send our daughter there for sure. Exactly. Like, that was that was their thought was, <laughs> should we really be sending our only daughter right. to the school? Both of our sons went there, but now there's this girl who was just murdered. It just, it kind of turned them off from the whole idea. Yeah. They'd rather her go somewhere, even if it was farther, rather go somewhere where they thought she'd be safer. Thought is the key word here. <laughs> it really is. They had such good intentions. Oh, no. Oh, it's so upsetting. <laughs> so basically, they told their daughter, even though she was so excited to go to this college, she was happy to stay home and stuff. They told her that she would not be going, that they were not allowing her to go there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she was bummed out, but she started looking for another college. She found one in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania called Lehigh University. Um, It was only about an hour and a half away from home. So she could still drive home occasionally and still visit family. And she, she, it wasn't her initial choice, but she was still happy with her second choice that she made. Um, So her mother was actually quoted later saying that the campus had looked extremely safe and she would have never thought anything bad would have happened on this campus. Dang. Isn't that sad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know where this is going. Um, so again, she had no problem, no drawbacks from sending her only daughter to this college. Yeah. She was excited for her. She wanted her to get Which the full. so weird because you would think that you would want your kid like they would have been like, hey, you can go to school at that first university because she could have probably stayed home. Exactly. She could have been not like lived on campus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. It, it's, it's upsetting looking at the whole case now because it's like she, they had such good intentions mm-hmm. of keeping her safe and it just kind of backfired yeah. more than anything. So in 1986, Jean was coming back to her dorm. She just spent spring break with her family. Nothing was out of the ordinary. She went to a party with some of her friends and went home she tucked herself into bed um but again it was the 80s she had left the door unlocked because oh my gosh. i know nothing we would do these days well especially now you know all of the dorms have like you gotta have a key card to get in or like exactly. you have to call the the ra on duty exactly. to get in and that was the thing is her roommate had forgot misplaced her key forgot her key somewhere oh my goodness so jean had just left the door unlocked so she can come back in later that night and wouldn't have to get jean up to yeah go unlock the door for her so she did she went to bed so they didn't have cell phones and stuff back then either so it was like exactly you gonna get a hold of someone to get back in exactly so jean thought cool i'll just leave the door unlocked i'll go to bed i'll see her in the morning you know yeah. um well the other thing about this college was Again, this was the 80s, so protocols on college campuses were nothing like what protocols are now. Mm-hmm. Their, their not main intent was how safe can we keep students? Right. It was, it's a big institution, we need to keep it running and we need yeah. classes going. I mean, that was, safety was not the number one thing in the 80s. Right. It's, that's just how it was yeah. back then. I think anybody can agree with that. Um, so a lot of dormities, their doors, the big main doors that you would walk into mm-hmm. the big dormity halls, uh, students would prop them open. 
Okay. Because I guess college kids, you don't have time to open doors. You know, it takes All right. up time. They're just on the go. My hands are full. Exactly. Just so a lot of the dorms, people would just <clears throat> prop stuff open. So that way they're open all day, all night, whatever. And happened to be on Jean's floor. Their big dorm hall door was propped open by some leftover pizza boxes. Somebody had shoved underneath the door. Wonderful. Exactly. So enter the story is Joseph Henry. Okay. <clears throat> That's a solid name. Isn't it? He was a 20-year-old sophomore from New Jersey who lived off of Lee campus. He had that same day just lost student election and proceeded to drink the entire night away. Okay. Yeah, so he was completely inebriated. And then he decided on a complete whim to enter one of the dormity buildings. He had went to the first door on the first hall and it was locked. So he climbed up the stairs to the second door. Second door on the on the big dormity halls on the second door was locked. Climbed to the third one and saw that that floor was being held open by pizza boxes. pizza boxes. He thought, cool, I'll go right in. So he did. And he reached to the first door on the left that he found that happened to be Jean Clary's uh, dormity. So he walked in and he started digging through her stuff. He was looking... Um, I guess I, I guess the whole intent was to burglarize the room. Okay. That was where he initially had started was stealing and, you know, kind of robbing her. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, either Clary woke up and she hadn't rustled too much or she saw him and she screamed. He went from uh, robbing her to killing her. He basically, he took a beer bottle and smashed it over oh her gosh. head. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty gruesome. Smashed it over her head, trying to keep her quiet. Right. Um, so she wouldn't scream anymore. And then I guess she put up a hell of a fight. Um, he proceeded to rape her and then strangle her with the wire he found from a slinky toy. What the heck? Isn't that, it's very odd. It was very, yeah. very odd. I feel like, I don't know, there's so many. There's so a lot of variables there. Yeah. There like, was, did he have the beer bottle with him? Beats Did he me. find it in her room? Exactly. Like it was just seemed like a very odd collection of of things of things to use. Yeah. So I don't know if he was just grabbing stuff that he quickly saw. That, yeah. That's almost what it seems like. It seems like at that point, like it, maybe her waking up or like screaming, whatever she did, scared him, and then he just panicked. He panicked, and it was like in his mind, best case scenario was to just kill her. No witnesses. <laughs> For whatever exactly. reason he thought, you know. So he was just like scrambling to find whatever he could to just continue like commit to to what he was doing exactly i think he started with the lesser crime and then just went into full panic mode yeah and, and lost it that's what it seems like yeah because it, it was it was quick and it was um it was gruesome <laughs> it was pretty bad um but another thing about henry he was actually a former honor student who flunked out of school once before and this was his second time coming back okay um, i was gonna say because him being a what did you say a sophomore yes because that's only his second year of yes. college, right? Yeah, he was 20 years old already. Okay. So I guess the first time around didn't really do too good for him because he came back a second time yeah. to try college all over again. Um, he had been fired previously from a restaurant for being violent, but had no prior records other than being disciplined by the university once before for throwing a rock through a female student's window. Oh, yes. okay. But yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> not, not, not really a first time offense. Obviously, the Gene Clary incident was much more like aggravated yes yeah a little more extreme very <laughs> wait, wait, he really like skipped some steps there going from yeah. throwing a rock he through a window one to one thing to another yeah <laughs> very different opposite things. ends of the extreme spectrum yes so apparently the next day um joseph had confessed the murder to his friends he confided in some people and 
thankfully they did the right thing and they went to the police. Oh, good. I was going to say, is this going to be like where they kept it secret and then Mm-mm. no one knew? Okay. They they turned on them pretty fast. They went straight good. to the police about it and told them. It's one them. of those, like, you know, when your parents are like, oh, if, if someone tells you something that they're hurting somebody or themselves, you need to tell an adult, you know, when you, yes. you're told that when you're little. Yes. It was, it was, they must have had it ingrained in them. I really, <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure, dude. Um, so instantly Joseph did what any murderer does and he lawyered up all right (laughs) um his attorney tried playing the angle that joseph suffered from pathological alcoholism that made him violent when drunk okay um the state attorney argued back that it wasn't a disorder that it just simply was that joseph had an aggression problem towards women specifically right um and it was brought out more when you drink just Mm -hmm. like that happens to a lot of people everyone always says drunk thoughts or or drunk sober thoughts or drunk actions thank you Mm -hmm. exactly um thankfully the court did not buy anything that joseph joseph's attorney joseph's thank you joseph's attorney had tried playing they basically kind of called bs on it and he was sentenced to death by the electric chair this sent joseph into a complete panic he was absolutely terrified of that i mean could you imagine being like we're 20 mm-hmm. you imagine being sentenced to the electric chair at I'd 20 years old be petrified like dude. you're in college and you're no you're trying to figure your life out and all of a sudden you do this one thing and one now you're event. just dead like you could you no know, like that's it that that's it yeah. there's no more yeah that's crazy to me which something interesting that I found in my case, um, and which I know this isn't did, your case didn't happen in Kentucky, but in Kentucky now, um, if someone is found like, I guess, clinically insane or whatever, or like, you know, mentally unfit right. to, to stand trial for that, they'll postpone it until they're like cleared. Mm hmm. Like, especially if they're on the death penalty it's charge. Absolutely crazy, yeah. dude. The legal system, I have I have my own beef with the legal system. I think that there is good parts of the legal system and there are parts that do try to do the right thing. But I think there are also a lot of gray areas yeah. with the legal system where people get by with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely crazy yeah. to me, but it's what happens. So Joseph got convicted all this time while, you know, Jean was getting murdered and they found her body and stuff who found her i don't know it didn't say it didn't say i don't know if her roommate came back and saw her or if somebody heard something and instantly right after found her couldn't find anything about it it was very slim details about everything that did happen to her how bad it was and well i almost wonder if that was like the college trying to save themselves i agree publicity i agree 100 percent because her parents basically sue the college later but before this, while well, she was getting murdered and, um, you know, going through all this with Joseph that whole that whole night and then the next morning being found and stuff. Mm-hmm. Her parents were actually not in town. They were out of the States. They were in Bermuda. Oh, my gosh. And they had no idea what was going on. Oh, my gosh. So when they came home they uh, at the airport, they got a taxi, taxi drove them to their house. And when they pulled in, they realized all these cops were surrounding their house. And that was how they found out that. Their, that is terrible. Their daughter that they just sent away to school was no longer oh alive. Oh my gosh. Ain't that crazy? That's insane. In 2002 now, Joseph had his death sentence thrown out. He kept appealing to the courts and eventually they made him a deal that if he would give up all rights to an appeal, he could serve life in prison and not have to face death penalty. Huh. So he got out of the electric chair. All right. But still is living... Um, his everyday life behind bars. So he's still in prison? Yes. He's not dead yet? No. <laughs> I mean, I figure he's nope. he's only he how was, old now? 
in his 60s maybe yes he should be in Mm -hmm. his 60s like 63 i think quick math for you i'm not good at math (laughs) (laughs) he should be around 63 um so yeah he agreed to take life in prison in order to not face another full trial where he could possibly be faced or possibly punished with a second death penalty by the electric chair he'd rather give up Oh, okay. So he, he, the deal was he wouldn't appeal again to get off of the life sentence. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Basically, he gave up all rights to any appeal, no matter what, if he would just accept a sentencing of a life sentence and he ended up taking the deal. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I mean, honestly, I probably would have too. It's crazy. See, I don't know. Really? I don't know if I'd rather live my entire life behind bars or just rather end it. Yeah, but I'm sure that he's being able to like have visitation and stuff. Still. Really? It's not like freedom. You don't get to, you don't get, like you and me, we, we both love being outside. Yeah. Imagine that's just fair. not being able to go for a walk or like. That's fair. You know what I mean? On your own terms. Uh, that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That would think that would be a whole punishment in its own. That, yeah. So that's, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about it like yeah. that. I'm just like dead or alive. That's yeah. how I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, can I take my afternoon walk or not? Once Jean's parents learned about what happened to their daughter mm-hmm. and, you know, that there was a man convicted or not convicted at this time, they only knew that he was arrested for it. Right. They were there for the whole trial and stuff and okay. getting to see her killer convicted and stuff. Yeah. Which I, I have to believe brings some sort of peace to them, even though I mean, it's a terrible situation no matter what. Mm-hmm. But at least like they know who did it. And that person is literally (laughs) person's not just walking the streets on the campus still. Exactly. Um, So her family actually believed that the college was completely at fault for the whole thing. They blamed the school. Um, They had believed that the university had, quote unquote, rapidly escalating crime rates that they didn't disclose to anybody. Okay, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I thought was I don't know how that claim stands, though. Well. Prior to Jean's death, mm-hmm. there was reports that her dorm had a 181 situations of auto locking doors being propped open by residents okay. that were reported, but never nothing done about it. I um, mean, but how are, I mean, how would the college, like, I understand people are reporting it, but like if the college, they're not going to know who's, you know, I'm sure that there weren't a whole ton of security cameras on college campuses at that point. How are right. they going to catch who's doing it? Exactly. Yeah. And it was the eighties when all this happened. Literally the technologies we have today are nothing like the technologies they had back then. Right. So, I mean, to that point, I agree. I don't know. I don't know how much more they could have done with that, mm-hmm. but that they were using that as part of their, mm-hmm. um, part of their reasoning to be upset with the college. It was also discovered that 38 different rapes and assaults had taken place on campus over the last three years. Again, none of this was pol- uh, public information. This was all. How, so how did they find it? Just after the fact, I guess. Probably, I, I'm not totally like. I mean, I'm sure they keyed into the legal system. I'm but sure though that they had to like, the college had to make that stuff known once they started. Once they were getting the college, sued, yeah. exactly. That that's what I'm assuming is all that came to front when they had a problem with the college and yeah. took it to the legal system. Right. I'm sure they had to provide it then, but at that time, none of this was public information. You couldn't just go look up. What's the crime rate of right, Lehigh yeah. University? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier now to like look and find out that information yes. on college. Because again, back then everything was just kind of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I heard this. So, you know. Yeah. Or if you didn't it. get the newspaper and read it and save it, you're never going to know. You're never going to know. Exactly. Okay. So the current VP of Lehigh University during this whole thing, during the time that the school was being sued, um, his name was John Smeaton. 
He told her family that college security measures were adequate and sufficient in his book, telling her parents, quote unquote, you cannot prevent everything from happening. So he really didn't see the school to be at fault for anything that it was just kind of like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry about your look. Pretty much. Like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. You know what I mean? I'd, not the yeah. biggest fan of him. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know what I mean? Um, so the Clary family refused to accept being brushed under the rug. They strongly believed that the campus crime statistics should be public information. Right. Um, they would they wouldn't have sent their daughter to a school if they knew how high that crime rate was mm-hmm. because Lehigh's crime rate was actually higher than the college she originally had looked at. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it was kind of it kind of what they believed was like the complete opposite was actually mm-hmm. happening, you know what I mean? So the family sued Lehigh University for twenty five million dollars, contending university officials knew of the escalating crime rate and knew that dorm doors were being propped open, but took no action to stop it dang they also said lehigh officials should have known henry the um Mm -hmm. killer his history of violence and alcohol abuse so they settled out of a court for a confidential sum so we don't really know what they got right but um they won so say obviously enough for them not to pursue it further exactly um so lehigh promised to increase security and including adding card access to the dorms okay see so that's that's where that started coming Mm -hmm. in yeah was that was a new safety measure colleges were taking on was now key carding everything you have to have a key card to get it yeah. anywhere uh-huh. which um is very normalized in our yes day very much <laughs> can't get it anywhere unless you have a key Mm-mm. code a password or a password something yeah. yeah it's 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 a big thing now so her parents used this money that they won from the court case they used it to fund to found sorry they used it to found the nonprofit organization security on campus which was later renamed the clary center for security on campus so they named it after her daughter mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, they reached out to a bunch of state legislators um, telling her daughter's story and kind of making it bigger in the news and in the media yeah. so that people would know about this and know about that it's an issue. That it's an issue. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't something talked about regularly. Well, I'm sure it's not a thing a lot of people thought about. No, exactly. Cool. I'm sending, you know, my daughter, my mm-hmm. kids to school and that's about it. You know, yeah, it was exactly. never really a thought of, well, what if someone breaks in tomorrow? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It just, again, it was the 80s. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that big of a thing where I feel like now especially being a girl and we've talked about this before <laughs> I think we think about getting followed getting kidnapped for getting sure murdered multiple times a day yeah everyone's around us so it's suspect. like you know how on TikTok right now there's that thing going around about how often men think about the Roman Empire yes it's like that is the Roman Empire for women it really like is getting kidnapped it really is <laughs> like how am I gonna get out of this situation stalked? right now <laughs> yeah yes what looking around the room and saying what can I use if someone yes. like comes in to like snatch me <laughs> or, literally or like that meme that keeps going around that's like um me sending my friend hey I'm going out with a stranger tonight yes. here's my location yes. in case you don't hear from me in the next six hours yeah and then not understanding that at all mm-hmm. it's just normalized for us exactly it's just is what it is you know you but just gotta back check then, in on your people exactly back then it was wasn't there was no way to do that enough. though. Yeah, exactly. I think with the internet at our fingertips. Exactly, literally. <laughs> it's so much easier and there's so much more danger now with it. Yes. That it just Yeah, that's what we're living with now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta deal with it. Yes. So again, they reached out to state legislators telling their daughter's story, getting it published or not publicized, but I guess bigger in the media. Mm-hmm. So more people were talking about it. Um, and they were basically asking that colleges be required to report campus crimes. And Pennsylvania, which was the state where her college was, where she got murdered, they were the first state to mandate such crime reporting in 1998 um, with, I mean, dozens of states following that protocol. Mm -hmm. And now it's like 
official that every state and like every federal. every college yeah every yeah it's, it's a federal, federal thing yeah. federal law now that every institution and every college has to have this information Report public their crime rates exactly huh yeah it, it makes me want to look at my college now. It's i don't even go on campus but i'm I sitting never, here like i wonder i you never know? knew about it i didn't know that either i mean it makes sense yeah but i just never thought about oh i guess that should be public yeah, information so now, now i'm gonna go and look up all of my friends who are away at college <laughs> i'm gonna go look up their colleges yes. be like did you know this is the crime rate on your campus right it, now isn't that crazy i think that's my insane. sister has one of the highest crime rates for her school yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> that's crazy that makes sense so congress passed the gene and clary act in 1990 changing the way that colleges protect their students. The Clary Act requires colleges and universities report campus crime data, support victims of violence, and publicly outline the policies and procedures they have implemented to improve campus safety. So basically, not only do they have to report everything that happens, Mm -hmm. they also every year have to kind of brainstorm new ways to prevent stuff like that from happening ever again. Okay. It's kind of like, I guess, an action-based plan Mm -hmm. that they have to also make public. like strategic planning. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. So Gene's father actually has already passed away in today's world. He's no longer in today's world. Yeah, we're well, no longer in the 80s. We're back in 2023. He's no longer with us. Okay. Um, but him and his wife did spend majority of their lives. The rest of their life. Pretty much. Yeah. Making being sure, advocates. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And making her memory a big part of today's world. Um, right. And, you know, they changed the way that colleges run. Yeah, exactly. And they do a lot of things. They have a lot of new laws and stuff now because of Gene Clary's case. Mm-hmm. Um, but her mother, she's 84. She's still alive. She's okay. still kicking. She was quoted recently saying that the law means everything to her. It means her life, Jean's, <laughs> was not taken in vain and has honored Jean in such a way by knowing that she is saving lives all over the country. Yeah. And what more could she ever ask for? So I thought that was a cool little quote that she, you know, that she had, I think she was interviewed by some magazine mm-hmm. recently. But yeah, that's the Jean Clary case, the Jean Clary Act. I thought it was interesting because I never heard anything about that. No, I was going to say, no, that's not like, you know, we go through and we read like the Title IX stuff mm-hmm. for a lot of our like syllabus weeks and stuff like yes. that. Or like if we have to take an intro class, you read about that and you read about student rights and discrimination and stuff. But we never, like I've never heard of that and why campus security is the way it is today. Me neither. And the thing is, I feel like I've read I've taken in so much true crime in the past couple years Mm -hmm. that I feel like at some point I would have stumbled upon with how like effective her case turned out to be. And I feel like it's it's crazy that I have never heard of it. I've never even heard of the Clary Act, but it's interesting now because especially we are college students. Right. That's where all of our own college's protocols and safety regulations have come from is... Just a girl in the 80s. There you go. That's crazy. Getting Anyways. murdered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your turn. All right. My turn. I'm so um, excited. <laughs> so mine, I actually, so, you know, I work at the library. Yes. And um, I work in the history department. So I was going through some of our files back there and, um, you know, taking out stuff and whatever. And I was going through the capital punishment file the other day. Very cool. I, <laughs> last week and saw this newspaper clipping and I was like okay so I kind of you know sometimes I just read them because they're interesting and I was like oh my gosh like apparently this this case um was like very controversial in Kentucky with the death penalty oh really yeah um a lot of people like it was all over the news about 
oh, the, we should have the death penalty. We shouldn't. It should be federally outlaw. All sorts of stuff. It was See, like wild. The death penalty is one of those things that no matter who you are, no matter like you know what job you have, where you mm-hmm. go to school, everybody has an opinion no, on the for death real. penalty, and everyone has such different opinions. Yes, so that's and they kind believe of, it so strongly. Yes, exactly. Even <laughs> though it's not like I don't feel like it's a very prevalent thing anymore. No. Um, for it to be like for people to actually be executed, but like they're still there. They're still inmates. I think Kentucky, when I was looking, there's like 27 or so, 23, 27 people on death row in Kentucky. Yeah, still today. I know it's not as. I don't want to use the word popular, but it's not as much of a used punishment anymore. Yes. I think the go-to for big, heavy stuff like that is always life in prison. Yes. Which I know that a lot of that came because of, like, they kind of changed federal regulations on it and what you could use capital punishment for. Right. So there's a very, like, few things you can actually use that for now. Right. So um, my case um, took place January 17th of 1980 in Richmond, Kentucky. So we both picked cases from the 80s. I <laughs> yeah, like for it. for sure. Um, so kind of, it's just um, just outside of Lexington, Richmond, Kentucky is. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's just, yeah, just south of Lexington. Um, so in this case, we've got 22-year-old recent graduate from Eastern Kentucky University, Rebecca O'Hearn. She had just gotten her degree in agriculture from EKU mm-hmm. and um, was still living in Richmond. That's where EKU is. Um, she was actually working at a minute mart there to save up money so that she could go to graduate school. Um, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, She's on the grind for sure. Um, her parents and three sisters and two brothers were living in Louisville. Which Jesus. Was pro- yeah. Which was probably, I would say probably about two hours away from hour and a half, two hours from where she was living. Okay. And then she had another brother living in Radcliffe, Kentucky. Um, People that knew her and worked with her, there were several accounts in the papers about it. They they said that she was always like a super outgoing and fun loving person, that she like was just like on See, it, you know. And I always I always tell Caitlin that that it's because <laughs> she to me has like the biggest heart I've ever met in anybody, the kindest person, the most funniest person. She gets along with everybody she meets, and I always make the joke, I'm like, You're the type of person <laughs> that's gonna get killed. Because it's always for the good no people. reason. Yeah. It's always the good people that get that grabbed or <laughs> murdered. It's yeah. crazy. Um, so she, as I said, she was living in Richmond and she was working at a Minute Mart up there. Um um, so there's actually multiple, there's kind of multiple, um, offenders, I guess you could say mm-hmm. in this case. Um, but only one of them got tried. That's the right word. Yeah. Um, so we've got 28 year old Harold McQueen okay. and his half brother, William Keith Burnell. He's the half brother's 19. Okay. So that's, these are the, these are the bad guys. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Um, according to one account in the newspaper, I think it was, um, a newspaper out of Lexington said that McQueen Burnell and McQueen's girlfriend, Linda Rose, they had been like drinking all day. They had been high as a kite on weed. Of course. (laughs) Um, and McQueen is actually said to have, he's him specifically, he's reported to have taken over 150 milligrams of Valium by the time of the robbery. Oh my God. That we're about to get into. Yeah. Um, so they were just living life, I guess. Yeah, not in the right mind. Um, driving around, robbing places. Um, so they end up parking behind the Minute Mart that um, Rebecca O'Hearn is 
or Becky is working at. Um, Linda stays in the car and McQueen and Burnell go into the Minute Mart to rob the Minute Mart. Um, when they get in there, one account said that she, like one newspaper reported that she emptied the cash boxes to them because that's what they wanted. They wanted the money from in there so they can go buy more drugs, right. you know, as, as they do. Um, so one newspaper said that she emptied the cash boxes and then McQueen just shot her in the face. Oh my God. Probably from about three feet away is what one of the, the one of the newspapers reported. Um, and it's kind of, there's discrepancies in the newspaper on the next part. Um, but she either was standing there after he shot her or she fell to the ground, but or she was made to get on her knees anyway. He ends up shooting her in the back of the head execution style. It's reported of a distance less than six inches is when he shot her the second time. So um, I did find it interesting. People had testified that they had seen McQueen earlier that night and Mm -hmm. that he could barely walk because he was just so high on stuff. That's crazy. I was talking to my dad about it earlier and I was like, okay, I said, there's some, there's some like, weirdness on that because like how are you gonna shoot someone if you can like if you're not in your right mind enough and then i said i'm you know if he was that close i guess yeah but you'd, you know, i don't know you'd it, 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 it was just still kind of fishy to me i i agree especially yeah. being that gone on yes. so many different things yes. you know what i mean and they're all mixing in your body mm-hmm. and i don't know it's just to yeah to not only go in there to rob a place, mm-hmm. to shoot her once, and then have her mm-hmm. direct her all the way enough to shoot her a second yes. time. You know what I mean? It's very... Yeah. Or manipulate yourself in a way where you could shoot exactly. her a second time. Um, so they ended up, like I said, they went to the Minute Mart around 11. Um, she was actually covering the late shift. She wasn't supposed to be working that night. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, um, and some reports, the... Um, deputy sheriff's officer whatever the detective that was over it she was actually working the late shift like two months prior and there had been a robbery two months prior to this happening not the same people but just could you imagine like working somewhere and within the two month period you've got two robberies that you've been a part of see and where my sister works my sister lives in one of the most dangerous cities in kentucky with the highest like crime Mm -hmm. rates and robbery rates and stuff and where she works they constantly have like active shooter threats yeah. and robberies and break-ins. And yeah. I constantly think about stuff like this all the time, dude. Yeah. It makes me so nervous her being up there by herself. She's only like 22. You know right. what I mean? It's so that's scary. what I was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, could I could not imagine working no. somewhere and then, oh, there's a robbery. There's like, like no I sense would, of safety. I would crap my pants. <laughs> like legitimately. It's scary. Um, so... When McQueen and Burnell returned to the car where Linda's waiting, they each had bags of cash with them, obviously, and the store security camera. Mm-hmm. They had ripped it off the wall. Oh, my um, gosh. And threw it, on, I guess, on their way to wherever they were going, their hotel or whatever. They threw it into a pond. It was later recovered by um, oh, I love that. the investigative team. But I couldn't find if like they got footage off if of it, it or if it was still. just toasted, you yeah. know? Um, but even way that's obstruction of evidence. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so McQueen and Burnell were later picked up for robbery and other charges. So not at the time that she was found and they started an investigation on Rebecca's murder. 
she they were already in jail for other charges interesting i love when stuff like yeah, that happens they were already in jail yeah. and so there's there's news reports that i was seeing where it was like minute mart i think it was like ten thousand dollars minute mart was willing to pay people if they had any oh evidence any, in the 80s you know yeah any any evidence on what had happened because they couldn't they hadn't could, they were trying to figure it out so um she was found becky rebecca was found shortly after she was shot by another customer that came into the store because mm-hmm. she was there by herself. Um, and then she was taken to a hospital in Lexington where she died just after one o'clock in the morning. So from oh 11, 1130 to one in the morning is when this wow. took place. Yeah. So quick, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> they ended up figuring out that it was Burnell and McQueen that had done this. Mm-hmm. Mainly McQueen. He's the one that shot Rebecca. Um, and they get charged for murder a few weeks later, which, mind you, they're already in jail. Yeah. So they just tagged it on to them. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um, I did find a news article and I thought it was interesting. A few months after the murder. So they've been, you know, charged with murder. They're still in jail. Um, an inmate on parole smuggled in a 22 pistol to the jail in Madison County. Um, and it was discovered in between like three mattresses. Oh my god! Yeah, like sandwiched between mattresses. So McQueen and Burnell were sharing a cell with three other inmates and it was found in their cell. Oh no. Yeah. So someone on parole had smuggled it in and the investigative team concluded that it was probably meant for McQueen to use. They yeah, don't know in what sure. capacity, but they were like, oh, it more than likely it was him. So... <laughs> Whatever he was planning on doing with it, obviously, oh it got gosh. messed up. But I was kind of like, dude, <laughs> Imagine the if heck? they didn't find that, though. No, for sure. It'd be such a different story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trials began over a year after the crime happened. Um, See, that's the thing. I felt like the... Um in the Jean Clary case that happened so quickly. I was going to say, yours seemed like it moved pretty it quick. It moved really quickly, but a, a lot of the time, that's not the case. A lot of the time, I know. it's a long Well, that's when game. I saw this, and I was like, what the heck? So... Trials for this the for the murder of Rebecca O'Hearn started a year after the crimes in March of 1981. So she was murdered in January of 1980. Mm-hmm. So that's now you know so, so much later. Yeah, um, Burnell, which he was 19 at the time of the crime, um, was given two 20 year sentences. Sounds about right. <laughs> and McQueen was given the death penalty. Sounds about right. Um, Burnell actually got paroled in 1988. See, that's the other thing. I When I took a criminal justice class a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. my professor had told me that majority of the time, the sentence that you're given, you never actually serve the full thing. Okay. As long as you're behaving, I guess. Yeah. You know, in, in prison, in jail, wherever you mm-hmm. are, as long as you're behaving, you get out a lot sooner. You yeah. get a lot different treatment. Even people that are sentenced to life in prison, they mm-hmm. don't end up serving a lot of life right. in prison sentences, yeah. which I think was really interesting because it seems like when you read the articles about it, it's like, oh, they're going to be in prison the rest of their life. But right. a lot of the time, that's not the case. Yeah. So that's what I saw that. And I was telling my dad, he goes, that is so messed up. He only served like maybe eight years of his, yeah. of his 40 year total sentence. It's, it's so yeah. aggravating, dude. It's so, because yeah. in my head, if, if they did it before, you know, what's exactly well also the reason he didn't get the death penalty like mcqueen did was because in kentucky if you are like not the even if you're an accomplice in a murder Mm -hmm. if you're not like the actual person murdering someone they can't give you the death penalty exactly 
So they it's just said, crazy. we'll just give him what we can. That's what it seemed like. And then he, he got out. So McQueen is still on death row for almost 10 years after that. Um, later in McQueen's trial, his attorneys would try to say that he took the blame for his half brother. That happens a lot too. Um, <laughs> so that he wouldn't get in trouble, which I also find interesting. Remember how I said earlier, there were witnesses that said he could barely walk. Yeah. So how could he have shots how could he have killed someone if he right. like could barely function himself so i thought that that was so kind of interesting actually exactly. do it. that's See? kind of cool i know cool. I that's s- kind of like interesting yeah i saw i i read that and i said huh um his attorneys also toward the end of his sentence serving out on death row um presented a binder to the governor of kentucky at the time which the governor of kentucky um said that he would not i can't remember the word um, grant clemency, I think it is mm-hmm. for anyone that's on death okay, row. Yeah, yeah, I know like, about. yeah, he said he was like, absolutely not. Like they're on death row for a reason. Exactly. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pardon them or whatever. Um, but they put his attorneys presented McQueen's attorneys presented a binder to the governor at the time and it had information in it showing McQueen had been a model inmate during his 16 years in jail. Um, he had helped with mass services cause he, when he was in, went on death row, he converted to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So he was helping the priest with mass and, um, he had written a letter to a cousin, I believe it was, or a nephew, something like that, telling him that he needed to get off drugs and not do drugs anymore. Cause it would like totally ruin his life. Like it had his, right. um, was talking about how there were words in there, like things he had said about how sorry he was for what he had done and how much like I think one of the things he's quoted saying is is I wish they could look into my heart and see how truly sorry I am for what I've done oh my gosh yeah and it still clemency was not granted at all um, see the U.S. I the well I do know this I was gonna say I think but I do know this <laughs> the U.S. I think they don't believe in rehabilitation as much as other countries do right I know over is Europe a country yes Europe's a okay. country <laughs> Over in like Europe, they strongly, strongly, strongly believe in rehabilitation. Their prisons, Google them, they look nothing like what our mm-hmm. prisons here look like. They're very nice. They're very well kept. They're very, um, they're spacious. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. their whole goal is to make these criminals better so they can put them back out in the streets. Right. Whereas the U.S., they don't, they don't believe in that working at all, which I, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. And it makes yeah. sense to me on some points, but at the same time, like, not on other cases, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very subjective. But right. again, the US I the US just you did it, you're serving time. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. The attorney's last effort was to ask for a delay in the execution. So this we are now in nineteen ninety seven, um, middle of nineteen ninety seven. He's getting ready to like they're getting ready to issue the death warrant, mm-hmm. which I I didn't look up. Do you know how long it is? between the death warrant being signed and the execution taking place i do not okay i, I know i know it's quite a while is it because if you look at like all the big cases like ted bundy or charles mm-hmm. manson stuff they're in there for a while and i remember i know that whenever the day does come that that's why it's such a big thing so it's kind of like there's just all this build up to yeah. get to it yeah so i know it takes quite a while to get there yeah that's why i was kind of like kind of wondering but yeah. i never ended up like researching it um the so they wanted it to get delayed because this is 1997 Mm -hmm. um the general assembly was set to meet in january of 1998 to change the kentucky 
Oh, okay. Execution style from the electric chair to lethal injection. Really? So they wanted to postpone it until after that because um, he was asking, they were asking for it to be postponed because, quote, his organs cannot be donated if he is electrocuted and McQueen wanted to donate his corneas to his blind aunt. I don't know if I believe that. It seems a little... That apparently they were trying to get it postponed. <laughs> Can't laugh about it. I don't know. That just seems a little fishy to so, me. So yeah, they were trying to postpone it so that Sorry, he could get. Don't give me the electric chair because I need to save my eyes to give them to, to somebody. My aunt, and he can't donate any of his organs if he's fried. That's crazy. You know what I did read when I was looking up the electric chair? Mm. The first time they ever did it, they didn't know that you were supposed to put like the little pads the on electrodes. Them. Yes, mm-hmm. and they had just I guess just stuck them on like bare skin. <gasps> Whoa! And it, it was it was pretty brutal. It was it was pretty bad. My and my dad were talking about the other day. There you go. Because I don't know why he knows so much about the electric chair but he was like he's yeah. done his own research yeah pretty much he was like yeah he goes the first time they did it they did it like completely wrong and that's why that's how they learned mm-hmm. to do it a different way and do it a little bit like less gruesome way and i was like oh <laughs> that's kind of interesting i guess <laughs> yeah right um just to kind of give some more background on the death penalty in kentucky because i ended up like going down a research rabbit hole as i you do did. <laughs> It's my history coming out. <laughs> Capital punishment in the United States was ruled unconstitutional in 1972. Did you know that? I did not know that. In what? 1972? 1972. Wow. Um, like the federal death penalty was ruled unconstitutional in the Supreme Court ruling of Furman versus Georgia, which I didn't look up that case, but that was the ruling. <laughs> that so could be a future case. That's I true. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> so like literally it kind of just like there were still people on death row. They're not like getting out. But right. They there were like executions were ruled um inhumane right um so, i did not know that's kind of yeah, interesting i didn't know that either i was looking it up and i was like what the heck kentucky reinstated capital punishment in 1976 after another supreme court ruling in, um called greg versus georgia mm-hmm. didn't look up that case either i love that <laughs> so capital punishment was ruled constitutional under specific guidelines that's what i was talking about earlier mm-hmm. they kind of changed it i guess it was kind of broad about what crimes you did could constitute you getting right capital punishment and then pretty much now when i was looking it up it's just murder um great especially in kentucky it's like murder or if you kidnap someone and they end up dying Mm -hmm. while they are still kidnapped it it's ruled as a homicide interesting yeah but if they die after they've gotten out it's not see that doesn't make any sense exactly yeah (laughs) i was looking that up and i said all right (laughs) when they changed the the way people are executed in Kentucky from the electric chair to lethal injection. Mm -hmm. Um, Inmates that were convicted prior to March of 1998 could choose and still can if they're on death row and come up for execution. They can choose between the electric chair and lethal injection. Yes, I do know that. But if they're convicted after 1998, March of 98, they only get lethal injection. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. I mean, who in their right mind, though, would choose the electric chair? Well, if I'm going to be killed, let's make it big and big and That's bold. Fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's make it a big thing yeah. for the attention. Right. You know what I mean? So. That makes sense. Um, so earlier, I also mentioned that it was it like a huge thing in Kentucky. Um, there were tons of protesters. People were writing into newspapers really? about protesting. There were like the the death penalty and like it, it was a whole thing. Against in Kentucky. or for? Against it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because he... So... He is the McQueen was the first person to be executed in Kentucky since the reinstatement of the death penalty in 1976. Wow. And he is the last person in Kentucky to be 
executed by the electric chair. Really? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So from 76 to 97, no one on death row in Kentucky was executed until him. And there was, mm -hmm, and there was someone that got, um, sentenced the death penalty in, in 1976 or 1978. Um, and still McQueen went before him got executed before him i don't exactly know how yeah, the inner workings of death row because i yeah. was like why are we not going in like chronological order <laughs> that <laughs> was my that's thing how it should be yeah and i was like okay i, think I like guess a it's waiting just how list. the cases are progressing i guess that that's what i'm kind of assuming i wonder if it has something to do with how yeah bad the cases were how fast the cases were mm-hmm. moving you know what i mean if yeah. that has something to do with it rather than all right you're next in line yeah. you know what i mean i don't yeah. know but again i don't study up on the on death row too often (laughs) um an estimated 225 protesters were allowed on the property of the kentucky state penitentiary the night of mcqueen's execution wow they were allowed into the grounds um of the state penitentiary like what mm -hmm. i read one article and i don't know that there's a specific they were away from the area where the execution was taking place as to not cause a disturbance. Right. Yeah. Um, but I read one thing where there were like protesters that were pro capital punishment on one side of this wall mm-hmm. and protesters that were anti on the other side. And they had like the state police or whatever, like there to make sure no one was like getting too crazy. Yeah. But it was, a, it, yeah, it was a whole thing. That's crazy. Um, dude. Some of McQueen's final words were to the people who had sent him cards while his attorneys were trying to get him off of death row, telling them to keep fighting the death penalty. He used 30 seconds of his allotted two minutes for his final words. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. So McQueen was executed around 12 a.m. on July 1st, 1997. There were several vigils held around the state of Kentucky for him, and some of them let out early so people could go to the demonstration at the penitentiary really yeah so there were like catholic churches were having special prayer masses and stuff like this and they let out and people like drove to the penitentiary which is a statewide event yeah that's insane yeah so there's my case isn't it interesting how effective something like that can be though yeah yeah it's just crazy and another thing i read when i was going through it apparently there's one one section of the kentucky penitentiary that's like it's, I don't want to call it isolation. Anyway, it's like, it's kind of isolation, but solitary. No. Oh, it's like the ones that are disruptive. They've like okay. done something. Yeah, like I know that. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So they, I guess where the execution chamber is, is right above that mm-hmm. to some extent. And, um, they like could hear the inmates banging on their doors oh my while gosh. he was being executed. Yeah. The, the penitentiary went on lockdown at i don't know if it was six in the morning or six at night that day where they were like only letting them come out like one at a time or Mm -hmm. whatever like they were locked down the whole day that's crazy dude i know i asked you this the other day when you brought up the death penalty but do you believe in the death penalty i do you do okay (laughs) i do i i do to an extent i think i think it's very subjective for sure um you know i feel like i've read so many cases where people get sentenced to life it's wrongful conviction i mean i right i'm very fascinated by that kind of stuff and a lot of the times people will serve 20 years of their life sentence and then be proven that they actually didn't do the crime and they'll get out and i think my only problem with the death penalty is okay cool you've been convicted you're sentenced to the death penalty yeah and i just feel like there's certain times where 
it comes back later and you know oh maybe we shouldn't have done that yeah so i just feel like it's very subjective but i think i lean (laughs) i lean more towards agreeing with it yeah you know so that was the case of rebecca o'hearn and harold mcqueen yeah that was that was a good one that was a good pick Mm -hmm. i've never heard anything about that either. that's what i was gonna say i just i just you know i just happened we've got all those files back there we've got the crime files and like the capital punishment one i just happened to pull it out and it was one of the ones that i still needed to go through and i found it and i said i've okay never heard about this that's why i thought it'd be fun to do this with you because Mm -hmm. you have such like a a fascination for history so it makes sense you went and found like this really big state history thing you know yes that's why i thought it'd be a lot of fun because me i don't right history is not my thing yeah if it if it's like interesting history about you know true crime or something Mm -hmm. i'm all for it Well, that's another thing when i was looking up executions in kentucky which this is like an offhand thing Mm -hmm. um in the 1920s like one day in the 1920s there were seven people executed by electric chair in one day Jeez. yeah can you imagine having that job well that's the interesting thing about this case i was reading and apparently the one of the I don't know what job he actually has at the penitentiary, but like he, he said, yeah, like we do monthly drills, even though we're not executing people Mm -hmm. like that often, because since 1976, there's only been three people in Kentucky that have been like, really mm-hmm. I, was, was, I was about to ask yeah. if death penalty was still a thing in Kentucky. yes it is okay, that's what I um, thought. there was one th- so there was his there was another one in either the 99 or early 2000s right and then there was one, our last one was in 2008 really mm-hmm. that's crazy but yeah he was like one of the guys that works there is like oh we we come in and we do monthly like training and like a mock execution just so we stay on top of our game that's wild yeah. so in McQueen's case they had three people come in to push the buttons for the electrocution really? thing because so that they didn't know who was actually pushing the right. button. And they told them afterward, they were like, yo, you know, if you need counseling, it's available. And they were like, no. That's wild, mm-hmm. dude. That's so crazy. The other job I'd always think would be so wild to have is the person who cooks your final meal. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it. Nothing. None of the newspapers. I have like papers from all over Kentucky about this case that I uh-huh. clicked, you know, online none of them mention anything about his final meal really i know he spent his last hours with his mom i I believe it was his mom and his girlfriend and his aunt i assume the blind aunt (laughs) (laughs) the one who wanted his eyes the one who wanted his corneas that's crazy um and then they left like a long time before his execution he spent his last hours with the um spiritual counselor really Mm -hmm. that's crazy and um one of the articles said something about he um the spiritual counselor i guess when he walked up to death row like like from death row to the execution chamber Mm -hmm. i guess he had a rosary in his hand mcqueen had a rosary in his hand and before he was executed he gave it back to the counselor the spiritual counselor and actually it was a rosary from the spiritual counselor's daughter who had been murdered oh my gosh saw that i didn't look into it any further but i know weird how like things tie together yeah i was sitting there like all right this is kind of strange crazy dude yeah and they i guess i don't know if it's protocol for executions but in this case they since he'd been there for 16 years um they got a team of like an execution team from a different um right yeah it's all impersonal yeah Mm -hmm. that's interesting i didn't know they did that but yeah i guess yeah if you're in there for that long so i guess whatever the the 
prison guards, whatever they're called, from walked him up to mm-hmm. the execution chamber and then they left. That's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, well, that was pretty interesting. That was a good one. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Okay, well, that was our two cases for this week. It's our first episode. First episode. First episode <laughs> down. We were yeah. a little bit nervous. Just just a little just bit. A little I bit. think we got into our groove. Yeah. I was a little nervous. I do a lot of the stuff down on the radio and recording a lot of stuff. So I've re- never done anything exactly. like this. The recording wasn't too bad. I think we were just a little nervous about like, how do we start this? Yeah. How do we get into it? Mm-hmm. You know, but we, we took extensive notes on before yes. we came in. Mm-hmm. So didn't go too too bad but we will be uploading these episodes i believe every other week is what we agreed okay so yeah every other week you'll get an episode i think it's also cool that's why we're doing two cases every time so it's kind of like you get enough to tie over okay yeah it's okay if it's a little bit longer yeah they are this is already an hour and eight minutes oh that's not as bad as i thought no really i thought we were already at hour and a half for sure and (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of cutting so most definitely maybe 45 minutes yeah, i agree <laughs> the first five minutes of this recorded audio was literally us just like trying hey, to figure it out how do we start this what <laughs> do we do <laughs> um but yeah okay well um stay alert mm-hmm. stay safe and most importantly stay alive stay alive all right